from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Wonderful. Finally, that's exactly what a Messiah should be doing. Getting to the centre of power. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus, Peter had got it right at the beginning of, the, of, of last week's reading. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the son of the living God. And now he's going to Jerusalem, finally. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day raised. What? That's not the way it's supposed to go. Surely this can't be. God forbid. And wouldn't it be good if God had forbidden it? Surely Jesus is tempted by what Peter says. It makes perfect sense. This is not the way it's supposed to go if you're the Messiah. Yes, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem. Yes, to conquer and to become finally the true leader and the ruler that the Jews had waited for for so long. Oh, but this isn't the first time Jesus had suffered temptation, is it? Right at the beginning of his ministry, when he gets out into the desert, the devil, the Satan, the devil, there are all kinds of different words being used. We're not quite sure exactly what they all mean. Um, there's different interpretations in different parts of the Bible. But something that would sway Jesus from doing the thing that he knows he's called to do gets in the way. And Peter goes from last week being the rock on which Jesus was going to build the church to being a stumbling block. It goes from rock to block in a couple of verses. How easy it is, it seems, to be open to the movement of God and wonderful things happening and then to lock it down. The fact that we've got denominations coming out of our ears and have done since the Reformation is for that very reason. There's lots of reasons. But for, for that reason that somehow people have experienced a, a sense and an understanding of God that is new and different. And they've grown in that and they haven't been allowed to or they felt constrained. So they've gone off and done it by themselves. And then they 
in, in amongst them have had the same experience and they've locked it down and said, no, we, this is the way it is. It has to be like this. This is the way things must be done. This is the way God has told us to do it, so this is the only way we'll do it. And so we keep splintering and splintering. Well, that makes sense because that's what people do. I don't know if you're following the way some people manage technology. I know people who are happy to use email, but they're not going to use Facebook. That's a bridge too far. I know people who won't have a computer because that's a bridge too far. I know people who are happy to use Facebook, email and Facebook, but they can't use Snapchat. And if you don't know what it is, don't worry. Um, it's Because that's just another bridge. You know, there's some things I don't need to know how to do. And there are some people who will use Snapchat, but they won't use TikTok. And they might not be able to if Donald Trump gets his way next week. You know, we're constantly sort of closing things down and, and, and finding it difficult to remain open to new experiences, particularly if, like Peter and the disciples, it's not an experience they wanted or one that was so contrary to what they expected. I think it feeds into these terrible verses that we read. Those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit if they gain the whole world? The whole world. And forfeit their life. What is that about? One of the things we miss in this reading in English is that there's some lots of wordplay going on here. That the, the Greek word for life can mean both physical life, your existence, and the inner life, that kind of essence of who you are, or what some parts of the Christian faith and other faiths call the soul. There's lots of wordplay going on. So we could read these readings like this. For whoever may wish to save one's existence will destroy it. And whoever may destroy one's existence because of me will find their true essential life or their true essence. For what would it profit a person if they should gain the whole world but one's true essence be fatally damaged? Or what would one give in return for one's true essential life? We know that it's possible to exist and not to live. I mean, that's one of the things that we see around us and we see within ourselves from time to time, isn't it? We notice it when we've been ill and then we get better because we're suddenly alive with energy. And we were, we were alive before, but we were kind of existing. And then we've been able to throw off this illness and life gets better. Um, I remember Deb Cynthia telling me when she got her cataracts done, she couldn't believe how colourful the world was, particularly the colour purple. She went, and she probably bored you te to tears with it. She went on and on about it because she she could see fine before. Yeah, she needed cataract surgery, and some of us do, and and that gets done, and she was fine. But what she thought she was seeing wasn't the world as it really was. She began to see it in a completely fresh and new way. And it gave us such joy and such excitement. It was wonderful. Made me want to go and get my cataracts done even though they don't need it. At least not yet. So we know it's possible to live and not really live. We know that. And, and it seems, according to this text, that it's possible to save one's existence or be attempting to save one's ex existence, but in the process to destroy it, to make it 
of no value. Lots of people have said that the purpose of life is not to make sure you arrive at death's door safely. That is not its purpose. Here's my favourite quote on that. It's by Hunter S. Thompson, the journalist who himself lived the wildest of wild lives and when he died uh, in 2005, I think, he had left instructions that his remains, his ashes, should be shot out of a cannon. And so they were. He lived in uh, Boulder, Colorado. So if you're thinking about that, I don't know how much a cannon costs to hire, even if you can hire them. But anyway, Hunter S. Thompson was very famous and so somehow it all happened. This is what he said, not far before the end of his life, just at the end of the 90s, I think. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, Wow! What a ride! Life is a colander. It's not a bucket. Whatever you think you're preserving, you're not. It's coming out. And all you can do is decide where it goes. It can't be saved. That's the essence of that part of the verse. Anyone who's trying to save, hang on to, you can't. All it can be done is spent. And it's going to be spent anyway. And it can be spent in joy and wisdom. Or it can be spent in foolishness and sadness. But what does it mean, and whoever may destroy one's existence because of me will find their true essence? Well, surely it's about being willing to abandon the tight hold that we often try to have on ensuring that nothing bad happens so that we do end up with a good-looking corpse. Nothing bad should happen to me, so I will do everything to maintain my certainty. And you see this with people who get particular kind of mental illness and where they feel they can't leave the house because something terrible could happen. And of course, they're right. Something terrible could happen. I mean, you and most of us here drove here today, and that's the most dangerous activity we could ever participate in. We know that, statistically. But we did it. We, we somewhere along the line, a long time ago, calculated the risk, and hopefully, if we're still aware of it, we drive carefully. But we know that we can't live a life making sure nothing bad happens to us. Or that we live a life emotionally locked up to make sure no one hurts us. We can't be in love with someone. We can't be in friendship with someone because you know what? They're going to hurt me. And they probably will because they're just like you. They're hopeless at this. We're all hopeless at relationships. We're terrible at it. I'm amazed that any of us can be in relationships for any length of time with anyone. And yet we do. Some of us, for lifelong relationships with people we know and love. We can't stay, we know all of that. We've got to be willing to abandon the fear of all those things happening. We know that. But what does it mean if you do this because of me? It somehow says, if you're willing to have your physical existence threatened or extinguished because you are choosing to live by different cultural norms which is what Jesus was calling his disciples to, because of your experience of God, then you will experience your true life essence. Let me try that again. If you're willing to have your physical existence threatened or extinguished because you are choosing to live by different cultural norms because of your experience of God, then you will experience your true essential life. If you're willing to live the way Jesus 
did and so threaten evil as he did in his day, the evils that dominate your culture or your society, then your normal, that so, you, you, you challenge those so much that your normal life would get extinguished. Somewhere in that, you will find your true essence. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to do this, you're going to take up your cross. And you're going to come and clash with the empire, with the culture. Now this is where I just want to stop reading because I don't know what to do with this. This is the most shocking text in the scripture. We can't downplay it. We can't trivialise it and say, well, you know, the, the life you lead, some of us, you know, have trouble, some of us have bad relationships, some of us have um, physical disabilities. Uh, this is the cross that we have to bear. That's the kind of contemporary culture way of talking about it. And and they, those things are true. Some of us do have to live with extraordinary difficulties. And, and many of us, other people don't know what they are that we have to manage in our minds and in our lives and in, in the quietness of our homes. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the end of life because of the empire that can control your life so much that it can kill you. Well, we don't live in that kind of culture. So I don't know what to do with it. But I do know that there's a call on this, on my life, that is deeper and more radical than I am prepared to do anything about. I am not going to take up my cross. Whatever that would look like in Australian contemporary culture. I am not going to put my life at risk in that way. It's Well, it's not even putting your life at risk because once you take up the cross... Literally, people would carry, as we know of the story of Jesus in the, in the Passion, he did pick up a piece of wood and he did carry it through the streets and he did take it to where you, where you get crucified, all of which is a public exhibition. It's part of the whole crucifixion story for anyone, is that if you don't obey, this is what will happen to you. You will be dragged through the street carrying one of these things and you will be hung naked in public and you will die. That's what it's about. I am not interested in doing that and nor am I interested in trivialising this and saying well if we're really good people and good Christians then you know God will love us and, um, and, and we'll be making some sort of sacrifice because we don't eat, drink, swear, or go to the movies or eat fish on Friday or the other way around you know eat meat on Fridays all of those things may have great value but that's not what this text is saying this text is inviting us to say to, to, to understand that the the way of being human that we understand will never, ever find the true essence of who we are, our essential life. So I'm probably, given my public declaration that I'm not going to do that, now I might find myself in a situation one day where I will, God forbid that I do, or any of us do, but many people in this room have relatives that find themselves in that position in the Second World War. And we all know families where that happened. Anyone who lived in Central Europe in the war had to make those choices and many did made the most courageous choice to stand up against the enemy. But I'm not there and who knows what's going to happen. But I don't think I'll be there before the end of my life. I hope, I pray, I hope and pray. None of us do, particularly those of us who are younger than, a lot younger than me. 
But I have to admit then that something about the true essence I will never quite get to. I can get closer to it, but there's a truth about me that I might never discover. And I think we just have to be... I just kind of have to live with that. That this text is speaking to me at a level that I can't reach. And I can't trivialise it, and I don't want to say, well, you know, it's this or that, or, or I, can, uh, uh, you know, I can put up with lots of things, therefore I'm carrying my cross. I don't think so. I think it's telling me that this is something I can't be and can't do. And, of course, this is the story of the disciples. When it got right down to the end of it, and Jesus was actually carrying his cross, they disappeared. Of course they did. They were human beings. Not many of us can do that. Anyway, that's a terrible end because I, I, there's, no, like, there's no way of wrapping this up, is there? But I don't want to trivialise it and I don't want to pretend. But I think somewhere in there I can attack, uh, attach some uh, idea of letting go of my physical existence to some degree and each time I do, each little bit that I do, I can get a little bit of that essence of who I'm really am, who I'm really called to be. So that when it does come to my death, and, and hopefully for all of us, it will be late, we will be with people who love us, and we will be going out quietly. Let's pray. That when I'm there, I might feel that I've tried to understand this enough that I don't totally feel a stranger to myself in that moment that I do feel that I've become something of the person that I could be, that God is calling to me to be. Anyway, I've got to stop because I'll just keep going because I'm, I'm sort of looking for a nice ending and there isn't one there. So, so, so we're going to stop. Thanks.